Uh, we're going to turn to the Bible. I'm going to share some things specifically for you mums, and, uh, but everyone else is welcome to listen in. And uh, while what I'm sharing is specifically for mums, I know that the principles we're going to be t- touching on uh, have the potential to impact all of our lives. Father, I pray as we turn to the Bible, I pray, God, that you speak to us, uh, open our eyes to see things in a fresh light, and I pray especially for mums today, God, I pray that they feel freshly empowered to be the great mums you've designed them to be. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> okay, I start by telling you a story. There was uh, a mum was out with her little one walking home from school, and the little one had found something on the grounds, and they were about to just put it in their mouth when the mum says, don't do that. It'll probably have germs on it. And the little one turned to the mum and says, how do you know these things? And she said, well, it kind of spontaneously just came out with, well, to become a mum, you've got to go through the mum's test. And then if you pass the test, you can become a mummy. And the little girl said, wow, wow. So they kept walking and after a couple of minutes of silence, obviously the little one's contemplating this. She said, mummy, if you don't pass the test, is that when you become a daddy? (laughs) Most likely, yeah. If you love something, set it free. If it comes back, it was and always will be yours. If it never returns, it was never yours to begin with. If it sits around your living room, messes up your stuff, eats your foods, uses your telephone, takes your money, and never behaves as if you actually set it free in the first place, you either married it or gave birth to it. Okay. I'm going to talk to you today about four mums who impacted and changed this world. Now, to be honest, I mean, it was hard to narrow it down to four. The the mums I'm going to speak to you about are all heroes from the Bible. Uh, And again, even in the Bible, it was hard to narrow it down to four mums who impacted the world. Because the Bible's full, packed with amazing role models, dozens upon dozens of life-changing mums who made a big impact on earth. Uh, but I've narrowed it into four mums, which I feel have lessons in their lives, which maybe we can relate to and can impact our todays. The four, the, and some of you won't have heard of, okay? Some of them are kind of obscure characters in the Bible that are just made passing reference to. The first mum I want to speak to you about from the Bible is a mum called Jacobed. Jacobed. And the thing about Jacobed was she was a fearless mum. Jacobed was a Jewish lady. And she lived at a time of uh, global uh, unrest. The, the, the nation she lived in, there was a lot of insecurity for her people. And it was a time where people were losing their lives, where the people were being oppressed, where people were forced into slavery. It was a f- thoroughly insecure time to live in. And we think our times are insecure. Jacobed lived in a time where it wasn't just financial insecurity. You were in fear for your life. And yet she was a fearless woman. Okay, you find out about Jacobeds in Exodus, and she became the mum of Moses, his brother Aaron, and his sister uh, Miriam. Now, apparently, Moses had a wig. I don't know if you know this, because sometimes he was with Aaron, and sometimes he wasn't. But that's just an aside point. It's good, isn't it? In Exodus, uh, we're going to read, and I'm going to give you, I'm going to read a passage from Exodus that will give you a kind of background into the situation that Jacobed found herself in. Exodus chapter 1, verses 18 to 14, 22, and then we're going to skip across to chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And then a new king, who didn't know Joseph, came to power in Egypt. 
Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithon and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more that they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians were in dread of the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made them their lives bitter with hard labor and brick and mortar and all kinds of work in the fields. And in all the hard labor, the Egyptians used, to, used them ruthlessly. Then Pharaoh gave orders to his, all his people, every boy that is born among you must be thrown into the Nile. But every girl will live. Now the man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When they saw that he was a fine child, they hid him for three months. But when they could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him. And they coated it with tar and pitch. And she placed the, in it, the child in it and put him among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister, that's Miriam, stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby, and he was crying. She felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrews' babies, she said. And she asked, <coughs> and the sister asked, and then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went away and got the baby's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And as a child, when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became his, her son. And she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Um, according to the BBC website, the ancient Egyptian documents uh, were, have been discovered which show that a Semitic tribe was captured by Pharaoh and forced to labor and they constructed a city called Ramesses. Clay tablets listing the different groups of slaves who were captured by Pharaoh lists one of the groups called the Haribu, which is most likely the Hebrews. Historically, the Hebrews were slaves in Egypt. And uh, here we find a situation where the Hebrew, ch- Hebrew kids were being thoroughly mistreated. We find uh, the Pharaoh was out of fear, was driven out of insecurity, wanted to, wanted to suppress the, the Israelites. Almost like a, a Chinese dictator would their population, trying to stop the population growth. Notice the, the Pharaoh was operating out of fear and insecurity. Fear and insecurity leads people to do crazy things. And out of fear and insecurity, he oppressed these people. And here this Jewish mum, Jacobed, had a son, Moses. She, she saw something about him. And she didn't want to lose him. So she, she kept him and protected him for as long as she could. And then she had to float Moses in, the, in, in a papyrus basket in the, in the Nile. For, for a Jew at that time, it would have been like living under the Nazis' regime in the Second World War. Because they were forced to labor in camps. 
many of their people were being killed, and it was a fear-filled environment they were living in. The fact is, Pharaoh was driven by fear, but the question is, was Jacobed driven by fear or by faith? From this text, we don't understand. We don't know if Jacobed was fear-filled. We don't know if she was, she was petrified for her son. Or we don't know whether she had faith in her heart. Okay? We're going to flip across to Hebrews, which commentates on this particular part of Scripture. Hebrews chapter eleven twenty-three. it says, By faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw that he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Here the Bible commentates on the Bible and gives us an insight telling us that Jacobed was not full of fear in this moment. Even though there were death threats over their lives, she was not full of fear. She operated in faith. I want to say to you, when you operate as a human being in faith, it's quite often the case that a supernatural sequence of events follow faith steps. Faith activates God, just as fear activates Satan. Faith is the dynamic by which we connect with God. Our faith, according to the Bible, later on in Hebrews, says it's by faith that we please God. Our faith pleases God. And here Jacobed, in the midst of a horrendously intimidating situation, instead of responding in fear, responded in faith. And we see the results of her faith. What happens? Well, she by faith she put this child into the hands of God. She did everything she could to protect this child, but when she could no longer protect this child, she said, God, I'm placing this child into your hands now. And she, in, she placed the child in God's hands, and she watched to see what happens. And look how God rewarded. She ended up being the one who was paid to raise her own kids in Pharaoh's palace with the best education, and she got paid for it. I mean, she couldn't have figured that one out. Here she was with the threat of losing her child, but because she responded in faith rather than in fear, God came through for her. It turned around to the point where she ended up being the one who raised her own kids with no fear. In Pharaoh's palace, with the best educational system. Again, um, in, the, in the archives of Egypt, the Pharaohs kept very, very detailed records, which means historians today have an easier job. And in in the records of the pharaohs, you will find that there were many nurseries in Pharaoh's palace. And oftentimes, foreign children as well as royal children were raised in these nurseries. So the likelihood is that Moses was one of those foreign children raised in one of Pharaoh's own nurseries, getting the best of the best education, looked after by his own mom, because she was a woman of faith, not of fear. We also see that this faith that she had had a knock-on effect onto this boy Moses' future. Moses went on to liberate those two million Hebrews. His own people, who had been forced into slavery, two million of them, Moses became the guy who freed them. Like in the 19th century, William Wilberforce caused slavery to be legally abolished in this country. Like Abraham Lincoln causing the abolition of slavery in America. And like more recently, Martin Luther King Jr. in in the civil rights movement in America, campaigning for equal rights. Moses was one like them, except, to be honest, even greater. He liberated two million people. Those Hebrews who had been slaves for 400 years in Egypt 
He brought them out with the miraculous power of God. He led them through a wilderness and brought them to their own land. And today you can go to the Middle East and find a nation of people who were slaves, but who are now free people in their own land. That's phenomenal. This guy became an incredible leader. But where did it start? His mum had faith in God. Faith, not fear, activates the miraculous power of God. It triggers supernatural sequences of events. I want to encourage you to be a faith-filled person. Moses also was the one through whom the Ten Commandments were published. Moses delivered the Ten Commandments to the people. The Ten Commandments today have become, on a global scale, for the last three and a half thousand years, the bedrock of global morality. Two-thirds of the world population... One third would claim to be Christian, but two thirds of the world population would build their morality on those Ten Commandments. Moses made a huge impact, but where did it begin? His mum believed. If she hadn't believed, Moses would not have lived through his childhood. And Moses also saw the downfall of Egypt. Now, you might not want to cheer about that one, but when you understand how barbaric and how brutal the Egyptians were, that needed to come down. The Egyptians were a brutal race. They were the world's superpower at that time. And through one man's leadership, they were brought to their knees. And the world was a safer place. This guy was a phenomenal leader. I want to advocate mums. Don't allow fear to grip your heart. The fact is, this is an insecure world. You you cannot be with your kids all the time. But I want to encourage you, like Jacobed, to be a mum who had faith in God. Trust God for what you cannot do. Trust God for the future that you cannot dictate, but you can trust the God who is in control. Trust your life, your children, into the hands of God. Whether you're a mum or not, have a faith-filled life. If you live a fear-filled life, you live a thoroughly restricted life. You imagine a scarecrow in a field. That scarecrow stops those crows enjoying those crops. Now the fact is, the scarecrow can do nothing to harm you. But because of the fear of the scarecrow, the crows live restricted lives. You have the African impala, that, that, that small but very athletic animal. The African impala can, can jump and cover a distance of 30 feet in one jump. In its jump, it can cover a height of 10 feet. But did you know the African impala can be kept in a zoo with only a three foot high wall? Because the African impala is shorter than three foot. And because it cannot see over the wall, it won't jump. It will only jump where it can see where it's going to land. Because it it doesn't have the capacity for faith, it lives a restricted life. If your life is purely based on circumstance and what you can see, feel and touch and test in a laboratory, you're going to live a limited and intimidated life. But the message of the Bible is you can live a faith-filled life, a life that believes in an eternal, unseen, mighty God who wants to be strong on your behalf. And as you step out in faith in him, then your life becomes unlimited. And the knock-on effect, not just to your offspring, but also to your life, can be colossal and profound. An old man was asked, an old man was once asked, what robbed him of joy most of his lifetime? He replied, things that never happened. Things that never happened. The thing that worry and fear have in common, folks, is they both haven't happened yet. 
we have to have faith in God. Faith is the language of the heart. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely or rest on your own understanding or do not lean on your own understanding. The Bible teaches us that while it's good to think, it's good to reason things through, there comes a point where you cannot figure everything out and you must have a, 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 a capacity within yourself to have faith. Faith is the language of the heart, not the head. Faith is the language by which you reach out and, and lay hold of the eternal God and trust in him for the things that you literally can do nothing about. Faith connects you with God. Helen Keller, who was both blind and deaf, she said this, if the blind and deaf put their hand in God's, they will find their way more surely than those who, have, who can see but do not have faith or purpose in life. So mums, trust God with your kids. He's there when you're not. And he, I believe, your faith will open up the way for God to do great things in your children's life, just as he did through Jacobed's life. People, I want to encourage you, live a life of faith in God. Faith in God for here and now, but also faith in God for your eternity. Have faith in God for your eternity. The famous verse in John 3.16 tells us that our faith brings into our lives eternal life. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So I want to encourage you, put your faith in God for your eternal well-being. So that's Jacobed, second person, second woman in the Bible, the second mum who changed the world, was a mum called Bathsheba. And I'm going to call her the restored mum, Bathsheba. Right, what was going on here? Right? Before I tell you about Bathsheba, let me tell you about the guy who became her husband. He was a guy called David. Now, David's a famous man. You remember the, the account of David killing Goliath and all the other great things that David did. He, he started out as a shepherd boy. He was a nobody. He was in obscurity. But God took him from there to becoming one of the greatest leaders that Israel ever had. He became a great king. He left a great legacy. He did brilliant things. He was the one, through his leadership, Jerusalem became the capital city of his nation. David was a phenomenal man in the, in the history of Israel. But he made one major mistake. And that mistake revolves around this woman, Bathsheba. And what took place was, on one particular evening, David spotted this lady. Let me, let me read to you from 2 Samuel Chapter 11, verses 1 to 5. One evening, David got up out of his bed and walked around on the roof of his palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. And, David, and, and the man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent a messenger to get her, and she came to him, and he slept with her. And she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Right? For such a great man, he made a major mistake. You know, he'd, he'd been doing so well. He'd, he'd done he'd such a great legacy. He'd gone from nothing to, to greatness by God's help. But here he had a major issue in his life. It was obviously a, had a weakness. And uh, this weakness wasn't kept in check. And before he knew it, he made a big mistake. I remember preaching in this verse uh, about three years ago. 
And I, I remember saying to Angie, my wife, saying, Angie, I'm going to preach in the thing about Bathsheba. Uh, what do you think, how, how on earth can I apply this to people's lives? So Angie suggested, why don't you teach people not to hang around their roofs in the middle of the night, perving on their naked na- neighbors? <laughs> and I said, Angie, to be honest, I can't relate to that application because my neighbor's my mother-in-law. And I... <laughs> She's lovely. She's really nice. But I have to say, it just wouldn't do it for me. Um, Anyhow, so you can apply that in that way if you want, if that's your issue. Um, But David, he totally misused his power. I mean, he was king. He could do anything he wanted, literally. You know, and he did. He completely abused his power. Anyway, from here, a whole negative sequence of events took place. What happened next? He wanted Bathsheba to be his wife. And he wanted to cover over his mistake because she was pregnant with his kids. So what he did was, through a sequence of events, he basically caused the death of her husbands. So now he's done adultery. Now he's a murderer. It was like he was totally deluded. He was completely not thinking straight. And uh, he, this great man, forgot God's, forgot his standards, forgot his convictions, forgot the things that got him to the place that he... The, the, the values that got him to the place that he had in the first place, he'd totally forgotten them. Sometimes, because of compromise, one compromise leads to another compromise, leads to another compromise, leads to another compromise, and before you realize it, in your heart, you no longer feel guilty. Before you realize it, in your heart, it no longer touches you like it used to. You know, like you're, you've become desensitized to something. Well, that happened to a major scale. It's called being deluded and deceived. And did you know, I've seen it happen to so many people. David would not have seen this coming. He was obviously in a wrong place with God's. He was desensitized in his conscience and he made a major mistake. They lost that first child. And they didn't get married. And then a prophet came to David and challenged him. And it was like the curtains were lifted from his eyes. He suddenly realized what a numpty I've been. He suddenly realized he'd been totally deluded. And he got on his knees before God and asked forgiveness. If you want to read that prayer, you can read in Psalm 51, you can read David's prayer of deep repentance. And I mean, he's totally broken before God. He's devastated by the stupidity he's had. It's like he's woken up and said, what on earth have I been doing? So God forgives him. God amazingly forgives him. Did you know God can forgive big sins as well as little sins? Did you know that? Anyone glad about that? What did you do? I'm glad about that, but I'm not telling you. I'm really glad about that. Honestly. Because we, we think, oh, the little ones, we, a, we ask God to forgive them. And he can, he can deal with them. But the big ones, man, we've got to suffer for those ones. And do you know what? David did suffer that. There was many negative consequences for this stupid action. And we don't have time to go into those. But God did forgive him. Adultery and murder, God forgave the guy. Now, I know some of you. I know some of you have done that. I know that. Some of you have done worse than that. Some of you have done stuff like that, but no one in this room knows about it. But the good news is, God, as well as being a judge, when someone turns and asks with authenticity, ask God for forgiveness, forgiveness will come. Fact. That's good news. It's really good news. So God forgave David, and God also forgave Bathsheba. And do you know what? They went on to have a son, and the son's name was Solomon. And Solomon, and David had many sons, but Solomon became the next king 
after David's. Isn't that amazing? And did you know that David's, because he walked with God, God gave David a promise that in your ancestral line, a king will be born who will reign forever. And Jesus Christ is born in the family line of David's. Jesus was born into a family line that related directly back to this man. And do you know what? Jesus was born in a family line that directly related back to Solomon, his son. And if this adulterous affair hadn't taken place, Solomon wouldn't have been born. If you, if you read at the beginning of Matthew and Luke's gospel, you read about the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and you'll find the name Bathsheba appears in it. Jesus, one of his family heritages, was his, one of his mums, way, way, great, 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 great grandmother, was an adulteress. And Jesus was born in that family line. Isn't it amazing how God can take the biggest messes of our lives and as we allow him to, by repentance, he can turn it around to make the situation unrecognizable and he can nevertheless use you. And do you know what? Many of you have made mistakes and for years since that mistake, you've repeated that mistake every day in your minds. You beat yourself up about it. Every day you beat yourself up about it. Every day you rile yourself. Every day you grieve because of it. And what it's done is it's neutralized your effectiveness from taking any steps in life. You think, well, how could God do anything with a fallen human being like me? You know what? Failure isn't falling down. Failure is staying down. And if you can get yourself right with God again, and that's easier than you realize. Sometimes our emotions still feel guilty, but in reality, God is forgiven. When we ask with earnest, God forgives. And he can give us a new start. Solomon went on to become a great mum, a great, a great king. But do you know what? Bathsheba, that would be a miracle. And these days, that might even be possible. But that's another sermon. But Bathsheba went on to become a great mum. Did you know that? Her and David's blew it. But she went on to become a great mum. Solomon refers to his mum Solomon was a great king who wrote the book of Proverbs and did many great things, known for his wisdom. And in the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, it says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching, for they will be a garland of grace, they will, a garland to grace your heads and a chain to adorn your neck. Solomon says that his mum taught him really well and that his, her teaching enhanced his life. You know that? This mum who had blown it, this broken mum, this sinner mum, this adulterous mum became a great mum. God can restore. God can turn situations around if human beings turn it over to him. Every mistake, every sin, every dumb action can be forgiven and you can go on to actually become a great mum or a great person or a great dad. You don't need to live in the perpetual memory of your failure. You can live in perpetual memory of God's forgiveness. Solomon one day had Bathsheba, his mum, come to visit him when he was on his throne. And it says in 1 Kings 2.19, when Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him from Adonijah, from Simon, the king took her, uh, stood up to meet her, and bowed down to her, and sat down on his throne. And he had a throne brought in for the king's mother, and she sat down at the right hand. Here's a mum who had blown it. She's become a great mum. And what does the king do? The king bows to his mum. Now, incidentally, children, uh, 
we should bow to our mums. We should show respect to our mums. It's good to show honour and dignity to those who have raised us. If a king can bow his knee to his mum, then so can we. But here it shows the utter respect that he had for his mum. His mum who had blown it, but his mum whose life had turned around. What does God think about people who have blown it? I know what God thinks about people who have blown it. How do I know what God, what God thinks about people who have blown it? Because God has revealed himself. 2,000 years ago, God came into human history in Jesus Christ. And Jesus said this in John 14, 9. He who has seen me has seen the Father. You know, I want to know what God thinks about situations in life. Well, look at how Jesus dealt with situations in life. And here's how Jesus dealt with people who had blown it. In Luke 7, 34, it says, people speaking about Jesus said, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This is what people said about Jesus. Jesus hung out with so many of the reprobates of society, so many of the sinners of society, that he got titled a friend of sinners. Jesus, by his own admission in Mark 2, 17, said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus' mission was sinners like you and me. He hung out with them. And you want to know what the Heavenly Father, the creator of everything, thinks about you and I? Well, he revealed it in his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus treated sinners with dignity. Now, let me not, let's not misunderstand what he's saying here. As Rick Warren puts it, acceptance is not approval. It doesn't mean that he's approving and applauding our stupidity. But it doesn't necessarily mean that our stupidity disqualifies us from being accepted by God who loves us. God came for people like you and I, broken people, who have not necessarily always got it right, but we've been humble enough to turn back to him. And as we turn back to him, he forgives us. Now, it's not just that God forgets our sin and said, okay, we'll just forget that one. We'll pretend it didn't happen. No, no, God forgave our sin. And that's a big difference. Because Jesus, after living a great life, hung and died on the cross, he shed his blood, divine blood. And that blood that was shed was specifically designed for the cleansing of your sin and my sin, even 2,000 years later. And many in this room have testified and will testify that as they came to have faith in Jesus, that a cleansing took place in their life. It wasn't that they turned over a new leaf, although they did that. But what took place was they were forgiven and they knew it. And Jesus was willing to go through hell for us because he was unwilling to go to heaven without us. And he who died on the third day rose again. And he offers us eternal life by us putting our faith in him. So I want to encourage you, mums and everyone, turn to God. Your mistakes are not final. They don't need to define you. Let God define you. Let his forgiveness impact your life. And let him give you a fresh start today. He's the God who restores. The Apostle Paul, who had made many mistakes in Philippians 3, 13 to 14, says this, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize to which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What does Paul say? One thing I do, forgetting what's behind, I press on towards what's ahead. Okay, say that with me. One, two, three. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Let's say it louder like you believe it. One, two, three. One thing I do, 
forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. God can forgive you to the point where you can literally forget what's behind. Or as Pumbaa said it, you put your behind in your past. Thirdly, the third mum who changed the world was Mary. And I'm going to call her the broken mum. You see, Mary, I mean, famous, one of the most famous mums in human history. Mary, the one who bore the child Jesus when she was still a virgin. You know the story. The angel appears to Mary, promises that she will have a child, and this child will be the saviour of the world. Mary agrees. And she agreed knowing what it meant. She knew that by agreeing to have this child outside of marriage, in the Jewish culture, at, at best, that could mean she's ostracized. At worst, she could be stoned to death. It was an incredibly risky thing she was agreeing to, yet she was willing to do the will of God. And there, shortly after Jesus was born, you know, you know the amazing events that took place around about his birth. And shortly after his birth, when he was eight days old, as was the Jewish custom, they took him to Jerusalem to have him circumcised. And when he got to Jerusalem, he was in the temple. The ceremony had been performed. And there was a man in the temple, a man named Simeon, who was a prophet. And Simeon came over and he started prophesying to Mary about her son Jesus. And he said in Luke 2, 34 to 35, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that is spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Simeon, speaking to Mary, said that it's going to be like a sword will pierce your heart. And do you know what? That was the story of Mary's life. She she was a broken mum. She had many tough experiences. Shortly after Jesus' birth, probably when he was about one and a half years old, Herod, the then ruler of that region, tried to kill Jesus. So they had to flee to Egypt. Throughout Jesus' life, Jesus, um, it was a tough life. Most likely when Jesus was in his late teens, Joseph, his, his adoptive father, you could say, died. There's no record of Joseph in Jesus' later years. So we can assume that Mary went from being a, uh, went from being a mum with a husband to being a single-parent mum. She was widowed. She was a single-parent mum. She was a broken mum. You know, the amazing thing was, Jesus being the firstborn in that home took responsibility for that situation. And that was a Jewish custom. In fact, it should be a global custom, incidentally, that you take responsibility for your mum and for your siblings. And Jesus took responsibility as the firstborn in that home over his brothers and sisters. Jesus had many brothers and sisters. One of them was James. James wrote the book of James. And I think he wrote this this particular verse, in reference to his brother. He says um, in James 1.27, the pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God our Father is to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep yourself unstained from the world. I think James was writing that knowing how his big brother Jesus acted when their father died. He would have seen how Jesus would have worked hard to put food on the table to provide for his brother and for his siblings and for his mum. He would see how his brother took responsibility for his widowed mum. So Mary had a rough ride. From the birth of Jesus, through the death of her husband Joseph, and then as, as she watched Jesus minister and live, from 30 years on, for three years, Jesus performed incredible ministry. 
In that three years, he healed the sick, he raised the dead, he opened blind eyes. And they're the highlights. But you have to know that his three years of ministry were also um, filled with threats. Uh, King Herod um, was threatening to kill him. When, he, when Jesus visited his hometown, uh, they tried to kill him. They tried to take him to the edge of a precipice and throw him off. You read that in Luke's Gospel. Also throughout his life, on many occasions, because of the controversial nature of the things that Jesus was saying, the Pharisees, the religious elite of Jesus' time, on many occasions tried to take him out. There were many occasions where they picked up stones as if they were going to stone him. So Jesus was living with constant threats against his life. And how can you imagine what Mary was going through? Mary would have been broken and constantly on edge about her son. And then eventually, man did his worst. They crucified Jesus Christ, God with us. They put him on a cross. And while his disciples abandoned Jesus in that moment, Judas had betrayed him, Peter disowned him, and the disciples abandoned him. His mum didn't. And his mum stood at the bottom of this Roman cross, seeing the son that she had given birth to, seeing those hands that she had held, pierced with nails, seeing the torment hurled against this innocent lad that she had raised. She had seen his life from the word go. There was nothing, there's no fault in him. And yet he was crucified, mocked, and jeered at by cruel Romans and by narrow-minded Egypt Jewish religious leaders. And here the mum would have felt horrendous. The Bible says in, 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 Luke, in John's Gospel, chapter 19, 25 to 27, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, And his mother's sisters, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciples whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son, and to his disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple, and that was John, took her into his home. So Mary and John were the only ones who'd stuck with him to that cross. And on that cross... Jesus made provision for his mum even on the cross, thinking about her well-being. Of all times when he should be, you know, he could have been easily consumed with his own plight. He was consumed with her well-being. The mum watched the son die in front of her. As Simeon had prophesied after Jesus' eighth day on earth, a sword had pierced her heart. She was utterly broken. Thank God she also saw her son raised from the dead. But you know what, mums? Some of you are single-parent mums. And we've got many single-parent mums in the church. Some of you are single-parent because of mistakes you've made. Usually it takes two to tango. It will have also undoubtedly been mistakes that he made. But we can't live with that regret. We're just going to build for the future. Some of you are single parents because you lost your husband. He died. Others of you understand what it is to have pain from your kids. You've seen your kids do things or done to them that leaves you with unending pain in your heart. Well, Mary, the mother of Jesus, can utterly relate to you. And here's the deal. You can either let it make you bitter or better. For Mary, she went on to become a great woman, a leader in the early church, a woman of influence. But God can turn around your pain and use you for powerful purposes on earth. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort which we ourselves receive from God. You know what? If you turn to God in your brokenness, whatever your brokenness looks like, if you can turn to God in your brokenness, then He can bring a comfort and He can turn that situation around and He can bring to you such comfort. It doesn't change the facts. It doesn't change the circumstance necessarily. But it does bring comfort that gives you the courage and the power to face every challenge. And then that comfort that you receive, do you know what God can do? God can equip you as an overcomer to then be there for others. You now have a qualification. It's called experience. And it's called the comfort of God. You can get alongside others who have gone through the pain you've gone through. You can bring repair and comfort to others in the same way that God brought repair and comfort to you. But before any of that, you need to make a choice. Choice not to shake your fist at God's choice not to blame God for the circumstance, but choice to turn to God in your circumstance. Not to run from Him, but to run to Him. And as you do that, then He can change your your scars into stars. You have a qualification, an ability to help and comfort those who are going through the the rough stuff that you've gone through. In uh, Johannesburg, we're going to our plan is, not this summer, but the summer after, our plan is to send a team from the church here to Johannesburg to help with, in some of the townships through JAM. And uh, Anne Pretorius, when she was here a couple of weeks ago, was telling me that they work with mamas in the township. And the mamas in the township, because of all the AIDS orphans, these mamas have basically adopted all these kids. And they're living in pretty poor surroundings themselves. It's not like they've got much to offer. But in their own pain, God has healed them to the point where they are serving others. And uh, Anne Pretorius and the JAM team provide them with food so they can provide help for the orphans. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to send a team out and we're going to help do up their shacks and put curtains up and buy cots and put carpets on the floor and make it nice for the kids in the second best situation they find themselves in. You notice that? Mamas, who themselves are probably pain, who themselves have got heartache, but instead of letting it make them bitter, they're turning to God. And it's made them better. And they're serving others. And also I want to just give a bit of practical advice. If you're a single parent mum, as an African proverb says, it takes an entire community to raise a child. I would encourage you, don't be isolated. Um, While your input is hugely valuable, children also need the input of a male. And I want to encourage you mums, You can be in a community. Don't be isolated. Get others around you and your your little ones to help you see that child grow healthy and strong and blessed. Also, if it's safe, let them have access to their father so the father can continue to input. It's not not best, but it's better than nothing. You know, this is why I so powerfully and passionately believe in church. I believe church should be a community where people find wholeness and healing. Now, I'm not saying that everyone's got it together here. I mean, we're, we're broken. I mean, you could find hypocrisy easily in this church. You wouldn't need to look very far. Try the person sitting next to you. 
The fact is, we are hypocrites. So I'm not saying you're going to get the, the perfect support in here. But what I'm saying is that every human being is a hypocrite. It's just that in the church, people are taking responsibility for the hypocrisy. And they're saying, God, I want to change. And in this environment, it's an opportunity where people can help you and support you. And we can be a family to everyone. I believe in the importance of community. The fourth and the final mum we find in the Bible is a mum called Eunice. And uh, before, I, before I tell you about Eunice, let me just tell you very quickly, Eunice, in invested time, she influenced her children. Before I, I, I tell you about Eunice, I'm going to show you a quick clip from YouTube. Um, and this clip is about a mum giving advice to her kids. So enjoy. What I have done is I have uh, figured out what a mom would say in a 24-hour period, and I have condensed it to 2 minutes and 55 seconds. <laughs> so strap on your seatbelt. Here we go. Get up out of bed, wash your face, brush your teeth, comb your sleepy head. Here's your clothes and your shoes, hear the words I said. Get up now, get up and make your bed. Are you hot? Are you cold? Are you wearing that? Where's your books and your lunch and your homework at? Grab your coat and your gloves and your scarf and hat. Don't forget, you gotta feed the cat. Eat your breakfast, the experts tell us it's the most important meal of all. Take your vitamins so you will grow up one day to be big and tough. Because remember the order the goddess will be seeing you at three to Don't forget your piano lesson is this afternoon, so you must play. Don't shovel, choose slowly, but hurry. The bus is here, be careful. Come back. Did you wash behind your ears? Play outside, don't leave rough. Would you just play fair? Be polite, make a friend. Don't forget to share. Work it out, wait your turn. Never take a dare. Get along. Don't make me come down there. Clean your room, fold your clothes, put your stuff away. Make a bed, do it now. Do we have all day? Were you born in a barn? Would you like some? Hey, can you even hear a word I say? Get off the phone. Don't sit so close. Turn it down. No texting at the table. No more computer time tonight. Your iPods, my iPod. If you don't listen up, where you going and with whom? You're coming home Say thank you, please Excuse me Makes you welcome Everywhere you run You'll appreciate my wisdom Someday when you're older And you're grown Can't wait till you have A couple little children Of your own You'll thank me For the counsel I gave you so willingly But right now I thank you Not to roll your eyes at me Close your mouth When you chew We'd appreciate Take a bite Maybe two of the stuff You hate Use your fork Do not burp Or I'll set you straight Eat the food I put up on your plate Get an A Get a door Don't smart with me Get a grip Get in here I'll count two, three Get a job Get a life Get a PhD Get a nose straight and tell the truth for once for heaven's sake and if all your friends jumped off a cliff would you jump too if i've said it once i've said at least a thousand times before that you're too old to act this way and you must be your father's dna look at me when i am talking stand up straighter when you walk a place for everything and everything must be in place
Eunice was a mum who took time to instruct her kids. The Bible says in Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Notice the Bible's proactive. It says, train up a child in the way it should go. In other words, get your sleeves rolled up, get involved. Oh, but I don't want to influence the wee deer. I want the wee deer to make their own mind up about stuff. Well, you're deluded. Your wee deer is going to be influenced by the buddies in their playgrounds, by the people they watch on TV, and by all the other people in their community. And you're the only one who should ultimately be influencing strongly your kids. And you're saying, well, the wee deer's got to make up their own mind. I can't tell them what to believe. I can't give them any convictions. Well, listen, if you don't, everyone else will. And I don't trust everyone else like I trust you. Mums, you have an awesome responsibility to train up your child in the way they should go. Not just tell them what they can't do, but tell them who they can be, what they should do, how they can live. Give them dreams. Tell them you love them. Build them strong. Get your sleeves rolled up and be proactive with your kids. Um, there's a mum who was like this in the Bible. And Apostle Paul writes to Timothy and talks to him about her. In 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you've learned it. How from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. And you are able, that are able to make you wise for salvation through your faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The apostle Paul is writing to Timothy and saying, Timothy, you remember that from a young age, people influenced you and you know who I'm talking about. And we say, well, who's he talking about? Well, it was Timothy's mum. So we go back, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, and Paul says who it's talking about. It says, For I am mindful of your sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it is in you as well. Timothy's mum was a spiritual woman, and she raised her kids spiritually. Now, I don't know what the dad was doing. The dad, we know he had a dad. Okay, we're clear on that. What kind of dad was he? Well, the Bible alludes to that kind of dad, and it says in Acts 16, verse 1, then he came to Derbe and then to Lystra, and there was a disciple named Timothy there whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but his father was a geek. Sorry, a, a, a Greek. <laughs> so there we discover that his mother was a Jewess and a believer, but his, his father was a Greek. Now, we don't know if that means he wasn't a believer, but it doesn't refer to him being a believer. It just says his mother was a believer. So it might be fair to conclude that Timothy's mum had the biggest role in raising Timothy in terms of spirituality. Maybe his dad gave him a good example of other stuff, you know, how to make moussaka and all that stuff. Uh, but his mum was totally involved with raising him spiritually. Now, I'm not saying that's the best thing. I'm saying that it's, if, if you're a dad, raise your kids spiritually. And if you're a mum, raise your kids spiritually. But Timothy found that his mum Eunice had the biggest influence in his life. Mums, your prayers, your instructing from the Bible, your love and devotion, your discipline where necessary, your encouragement at all times will totally help that child to become all that God has intended for them. Timothy went on to become a great church leader. The church he led in Ephesus, according to church historians, it was believed that that church had 150,000 members kind of big influence. Well, what was his beginnings? He had a mum who invested in him, 
who's, who invested, who influenced. I personally know from my own life the impact my mum had in my life. Here's a photo of me and my mum. That's me in the far left there, you can see. No, no that's, that's me and my mum again. And uh, next one's me and my mum. There you go. My hair used to do that without even having gel, right? And I try and maintain it with gel. So. But do you know what? Thank you. My mum was a spiritual woman. My mum did lots of things, right? She cooked great meals. I loved that. She really did. She cared for me. We didn't have much money, but, you know, she, she provided for me. She was a great mum and a great wife. She, she, was, she set a great example. She, she cared about my education, and I, too much so sometimes to me. I, she would say, are you doing your homework? Are you working hard? But you've got to work hard to do well in life. And, and um, she tried really hard to help me to work hard. And I wasn't there at that enthusiastic, sadly, at that time about education. But you know what? The thing that really stands out, food, sure, education, sure, but the thing that really stands out about my mom's upbringing was this. She was a spiritual woman. She was a spiritual woman. When I was born, mom prophesied over me. She said, God, I want my son to be like Peter in the Bible, a leader, a church leader. That's why she called me Peter. She felt it was a name that God gave her for me. Every night, I remember... Dad was great as well, but I remember it was mum who every night would get down beside my bed and she would pray for me with earnest. She would ask God's blessing in me and we would take time praying for the world every night. And for 15 years of my life, I didn't follow the God she followed. I was 15 before I became a believer. I was dragged to church. Mum taught me about God. And do you know what? There was an authenticity about her faith. She believed the Bible. She walked by faith. She knew how to live. She also had a phenomenal work ethic. You know, my mum died uh, with a terminal disease, and that was tragic. She would, when it was diagnosed, she only was given months to live, but she lived for years, and she lived by faith for years. And in those years, she missed one Sunday at church, and the Sunday, and the Sunday she missed at church was the day she died, incidentally. People with her condition don't go on like that. And the Sunday, the Sunday before that, she was serving at kids' church, Um, and she died well she died at peace I was right with her as was my mentor Andrew Owen he was with her as well and we were in the presence of God as mum died she breathed her last and entered into eternity in the presence of the God in whom she had believed and she set for me such an example she died in 1996 two years later me and Ange moved across we kicked off the church here in Edinburgh ten years ago do you know what She, she left a legacy her legacy wasn't primarily the food she put on my table, wasn't the clothes she dressed me in, wasn't her encouragement for me to be educated. Her legacy was that she believed God and she taught her son who initially reluctantly but who latterly passionately believed in that God. She taught me about the Bible. She prayed with me. She corrected me when I was wrong. She spoke words of faith over me. Mums, I want to encourage you, be faith-filled mums. The legacy you leave as a faith-filled mum as a Bible-based mum, will be an eternal legacy. It will leave a big impact. Put into the kids your values, your building blocks. That will build them strong. Proverbs 14.1 says, the wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears it down. So wise women, build your homes. 
Abraham Lincoln said that all I ever am or hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. I remember my mother's prayers and that they always follow me. They've clung to me all my life. What George Washington said that my mother was the most beautiful woman I ever saw. I am, it's all that I am, I owe to my mother. I, I attribute my success in life to the moral, intellectual, and physical education I received from her. John and Charles Wesley, who in their day in the 18th century, transformed Britain. Secular historians believe that had it not been for the John and Charles Wesleys of this world, that the, the British public would have experienced a revolution just like they did in France. But because of John, John Wesley, Charles Wesley, and Whitfields, they literally turns this nation in, in, at that time. It, this nation was in a bad place. It was in chaos. But through their influence and through their preaching, they changed the world. But you know what? Many people don't realize, but John and Charles Wesley had a mum. You probably figured that. But their mum had a colossal impact on their life. If you read their biographies, you'll see that their mum was sleeves rolled up kind of mum. She got stuck in. She helped those children. She raised them in the Christian faith. And they went on to make a big impact. Four mums who changed the world. The fifth mum is you mums. And I want to urge you, with everything within me, to keep being great. To not get discouraged. To raise your children in a community of faith. To be someone who's proactive. Don't give way to fear. This is an insecure world. But you have a secure God you can trust in. Live a life of faith and let that life of faith impact your children. Train up a child in the way they should go and when they're older, they will not turn away from it. Let me end with one quote. Forrest Woodcraft said this, 100 years from now, it will not matter what my bank account was, how big my house was, or what kind of car I drove. But the world, would be, world may be a little better because I was important in the life of a child. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you, God's creator, describe yourself as Father. You're you're a parent. You believe in parenting. Thank you for the example in the Bible of great mums who made a great impact. Thank you for Jacobet, who in a time where her world was in upheaval, she didn't give way to fear but she held on to you by faith. Thank you, God, for Bathsheba, who although even though she made a huge mistake, thank you, God, because of her, her authenticity and her repentance, that you turned her life around so she became a great mum who raised a great king. Thank you, God, for Mary, through whom, Jesus Christ, you were born. Thank you that even in her brokenness, it didn't ruin her but it made her the great woman she went on to be. And thank you for Eunice, who through dedication, through faith, raised that boy, Timothy, who went on to become a great church leader in the early church. I pray, God, for the mums here. I pray, God, for your blessing on every mum that's in this auditorium. I ask you, Father, that they will be mums who have faith, mums who have convictions, and mums who know the comfort and the support of God their family, and church. God, I pray each one of us in this auditorium, whether we're a mum, whether we're a son, whether we're a daughter or a father, I pray we each one of us would learn to walk with you, God. The, these principles we've learned that these mums have taught us would be principles that are just part of our lives. 
I ask that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Take a moment to respond. Take a moment to pray back your own prayers to God. Maybe something we've touched on today has triggered something in your heart. We'll talk to God about that just now. praying, I'm just going to give you an opportunity today if you're here today and you're not at all sure that you and God are connected you've heard in the course of the service that 2,000 years ago God came Jesus was born and his mission was you and it's for you and for this world that he died on that cross so that you could be completely forgiven and have eternal life Now the ball's in your court. I'm going to give you an invitation just now. This Jesus who died for you and rose again, do you want to put your faith in him? I'm not asking you to become a member of this church or to become religious. I'm just extending to you the invitation that the Bible extends to you. That God in heaven loves you more than you'll ever know. Today, do you want to put your faith in him? Do you want to connect with him? If you do, I want to help you to do that. Very simply, this is what I'm going to do. If today you're saying, Peter, I want to put my faith in God. I want to accept Jesus. I want to be saved. I want to know that I have eternal life. I need to know his forgiveness. And I'm willing to follow Jesus. If that's you, then I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with me just now. Repeat this prayer after me quietly, just under your breath. And let this be your prayer of dedication to him. Pray with me. Pray, dear Lord God. Thank you for your incredible love for me. Thank you your love drove you to die on that cross on my behalf. Jesus, I believe you died so I could be forgiven. I ask you right now for that forgiveness. I ask you to cleanse me from the inside out and give me a new start. Thank you so much. Jesus, I believe that after dying, you rose again on the third day. And right now, I choose to follow you. I make you the Lord of my life. And to the very best of my ability, from here on in, I want to live a life that will please you and bring you honor. Thanks, God, for hearing my prayer and for accepting me today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Keep your eyes closed. If anyone prayed that prayer, you've just done a marvelous thing. And do you know what? God has heard your prayer. And even now, he's moving in your life. If that's you, and you prayed that prayer, I would love the privilege of asking God to bless you for asking God to seal this decision and for asking God to empower you as you embark on this new season in life. Do me a favor. If you prayed that prayer, I'm just going to ask you to do a very simple thing. I'm not going to call you to the front. I'll get you to stand up or embarrass you in any way, but just so I know who I'm praying for. Could you indicate yourself by that you prayed that by quickly raising your hand? So anyone like that, you made that commitment. Thank you. 
Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you, thank you. Anyone else? You prayed that prayer. You made that commitment. Anyone else? I want to pray for you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Lord God, I pray for my dear friends today who have prayed this prayer, who have made this commitment. God, I know the Bible tells us when we ask for forgiveness from the big sins and the small sins, you forgive, you forgive, and you cleanse, and you wipe away the sins, and you give us a new start. Thank you, this is just exactly what's taken place in these dear friends' lives. They have made this prayer, and now according to the Bible, they're forgiven in the sight of a great God who loves them. Thank you, Jesus, as they put the faith in you, the one who died and rose again. The Bible promises that they now have eternal life. And I pray, let them know the joy of this life. And I pray you'd empower them with your Holy Spirit to follow you from this day forward until one day they meet you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to worship God. Thank you, Father. You know... Those, those friends who put their hands up at the end there well done did a great thing uh, before you go I'm going to get a couple of my prayer partners to come and say hi to you and give you a booklet which helps you take the next steps in your Christian faith uh, we're going to sing one song and then in a moment uh, the kids from Kids Church they've been learning lots of songs across the way here in a few moments the kids are going to come back and join us after we've sung this song and they're going to sing a song to us alright so let's worship God